Verse 28, read along with me if you would, friends. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. You think that the message you're going to get today is long. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> I did this to myself. That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, that they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near and gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with them on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of his face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Pray with me, would you please? Wonderful, awesome, amazing, fantastic, glorious you are. How glorious and wonderful it is to serve you. How utterly fantastic it is to open your word and expect you to speak. Lord, I just pray you would overwhelm us today with your goodness. I pray today, Lord, that you would erupt among us. That your word would minister to every need in this room. That every ear will be open, every heart will be open, every mind will be open to receive you today. Pray, Lord, that your power would manifest. So overcome every one of us that we find ourselves gloriously engulfed in the God who loves us. And I praise you and I love you and I thank you. And I ask now, Lord, for you to do your work. So please have your way. Please draw us close. Please minister now. I commit this time to you, Lord. I recognize we're a bit chasing the clock, but Lord, you know how to handle everything. So we commit this time to you. May truly, Lord, everything you wish to be said, be said and nothing more. So immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. That you would truly speak now. And that we would enjoy you like you ordained. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today as I would any... Blah, blah, blah. Please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Let me catch you up if you're kind of, and I've been gone a week, so I'd love to catch you up. Moses was gone for 40 days and 40 nights receiving the law. Now, the Ten Commandments had already been given. The people heard that from down at the mountain, but Moses then went up to receive the plans for the tabernacle and to receive the call in regards to the feasts and the social laws. 
Now, once he had done that, he had come down after those 40 days. And in those 40 days as well, we'll find out when he recounts this in Deuteronomy, that he neither ate nor drank during that time either. So he had not eaten or drank, eaten or drunk, for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes down the mountain because God says, get down. Moses heads down the mountain. He picks up Joshua in route. Joshua says, I hear the sound of a war going on. Sounds like people dying. And he says, oh no, that's just the choir. The people are singing. They've gone after other gods. Moses heads down the mountain and he sees them there dancing before Aaron and the golden calf, naked and going crazy, as would be the case as they worship Apis. Now understand, Moses was never supposed to be, I mean, from the very beginning, though God had called Moses to lead, I find it interesting Moses wasn't the only leader in the sight of the people. Moses and Aaron were the leaders in the sight of the people. But Aaron was an add-on by Moses' choice, not by God's. If you remember, God says, I've called you to be a spokesperson, and Moses wants to argue with him about his mouth. God says, who made your mouth? Are you really informing me of something as if I didn't know it? He's like, I'll be with your mouth. I'll give you a favor, and you'll come out with great spoil. But Moses says, he finally gets flushed out and he gets true and he just sort of tells the truth, all right, just send someone else. That's really the issue here. It isn't that I just really have a very low estimation of myself. Truth be told, I just don't want to go. Just the same he does, but with that he goes and he takes now with his, with his, his brother Aaron. And by the way, if you read the text carefully, it's actually quite funny. Because if you really look, Moses has to show up with his brother with all the pomp and the grandeur. And you could probably put in that really cool MGM, you know, 1960s music while, you know, Yul Brenner's sitting on the throne and all that. And he walks over and there's the two men. There's Moses with all of that kind of looking Charlton Heston fury and all that kind of manliness. And all of a sudden they kind of look and Pharaoh kind of leans over and he's like, yes. And you can, Charlton Heston kind of goes, my brother says... Let my people go. From the very beginning, though God had called Moses to lead that, yeah, well, Aaron was added on because Moses didn't want to do it alone. And what you find is, is that Aaron really was a very terrible influence in a lot of ways. He was not a leader. He was a follower as well as here. So Moses is now head down the mountain. There is Aaron leading the people. And Aaron just blows it one time after another. Moses looks at his brother and goes, what is this? And he goes, I don't know, bro. I don't know. We all grabbed some gold. We threw it in the fire. Out came this calf, you know. And, and of course, with that, you know, Moses doesn't buy it. So what does he do? He goes, he grinds. I mean, so Moses erupts, flips out, grinds this thing into, into powder, throws it in the water, mixes it up, drink it, and everybody drinks it. No one's going to worship that thing the next time they see it. And, and now at that point, and then Moses goes, ah, oh, God says, stand back, let me kill them all. And Moses is like, oh, let's talk. Moses puts his tent outside of the camp, and then he heads back up, and he goes, I'm going to go talk to God. Maybe he won't kill you. And up he goes for another 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the last time Moses had encountered, I don't know how long that break is in between, but he hadn't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights. Comes down, flips out, goes back up the mountain, and spends another 40 days not eating or drinking. And he's 80 years old. Talk about an amazing diet, but the Lord is enough. The Lord is enough. And now he's got to head back down the mountain again. But while he's up there, he says, Oh, God, can I just, let's just make clear. We're in agreement. We are a stiff-necked, self-consumed, stubborn people. We're a mess. God volleys with this. I'm a merciful, gracious, long-suffering God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins. 
You could see Moses going, well, if that's who you are and that's who we are, this is a match made in heaven. You are the perfect bespoke God for us. If we're really honest about who we are, then you are the perfect God for us. Because I need a forgiving, patient, loving, kind God. And if you are, and praise God, the only real God's this one. So now Moses has to head down the mountain. It's been another 40 days with new tablets because he broke the other ones when he came down the last time. With a new confidence that God would go with him. And a new look. A new fashion accessory we'll see here. And again, the title, Mr. Glowy Face, The Problem with Glory. Verse 28 says, Now, so he was there at the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and he neither ate drink, neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote, God wrote on the, uh, on the tablets that Moses had brought up, the words of the covenants, the Ten Commandments. And now Moses is going to come down. It says, Now it was so that when Moses came down the mountain, Mount Sinai, which means barrenness, wilderness, dryness, that the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands when he came down the mountain. Before we even get into Moses' particular with the way that he looked. I love the fact that Moses was given an opportunity to give the people a second chance. I mean, I don't know if you noticed this. You see, when Moses was gone the first time for 40 days, the people kind of got nervous. And can I just say, the greatest demonstration or trial of your faith and mine will probably be time. You get tired of waiting. You know, I mean, there's, we can trust the Lord. I mean, we can almost all do something heroic if it were the right three minutes and we were in the zone. But to trust God when it doesn't seem like it's happening and wait and wait and wait and wait. It's rough. But you know what? It's in those long droughts, in those moments of relative inactivity, at least as we see it, it's in those moments we get to show people what we're really made of in this faith of ours. And that's the funny part about it. I mean, it's, I mean, who blames Sarah? Well, I do, but that's a nice story. For saying, why don't you go into my maidservant? Who blames Abraham? <laughs> Says, oh, okay. I mean, the whole point of it is she gets tired of it. It's been 13 years, it looks like, since the promise. How long do you wait for something to come to pass? What's the longest you've ever waited for anything? You ever look at a microwave, something that you have to put in the microwave, and it says two and a half minutes, and you think, two and a half minutes? Really? I have to wait that long? And they're like, the, like, you, like how come it hasn't dinged yet? Two and a half minutes, right? Okay, you stopped at a stoplight, those of you who drive here. And you stopped at the stoplight, and you're waiting for it to turn green. And you're like, I, I'm waiting here. And what's the term we use? Forever. It's 42 seconds, 48 seconds, or whatever the case. But that's forever. You're waiting for your train. We're down in the underground. And we wait. 
And it says one minute, but it said one minute two minutes ago. And we're furious. We're like, are you kidding me? That's clearly more than a minute. I've been looking at my watch. That's three. It said one minute. It's three minutes. Those are two minutes I'm never going to get back of my life. But if you've ever browsed the Internet, that's time you'll never get back either, but you don't seem to chronicle that. It's like I see people and it's like, I just spent six hours on YouTube. And I'm like, you'll never get that back, will you? Did you get anything out of it? Was your life improved? Yeah. How? Uh, never mind. Here's the point. Moses was gone for 40 days and the people got tired of waiting because they had looked at him. And because they had looked at him instead of the Lord, they kind of went and said, we don't know where this guy's been. I mean, for 40 days, it's like, oh, I don't know, the guy that brought us out of Egypt. We don't know what's become of him. We need something we can touch and feel. And that's inevitably what happens. Is in a moment like that, when you get tired of waiting, you inevitably grab something you can smell, touch, hear, something your senses, something you can experience. It can happen with church, too, if you're not careful. And now look at If you're sitting with the Lord and you're trying to do something, Amina's on her knees and she goes, Lord, where do I go? Show me where to go. Show me what to do. And she doesn't hear anything. She thinks, God's not answering my prayers. I think he did. I'm like, well, what did he show you? Nothing. Well, what did you ask him? Show me what to do. The answer is nothing. Has the Lord moved you? No. So where did he move you to? Nowhere. And you ask what? Lord, where do you want me to go? See, sometimes the Lord has to do that just to keep us from doing stuff. Do you know what I mean? Because the hardest thing, to be honest, sometimes is just to not do, but to be. And we're like, Lord, who is it? You know, it's like, Lord, there's like three people that I'm interested in. Should it be that one or that one or that one? You just tell me. And the Lord doesn't answer. And you're like, hello, I gave you A, B, and C. And God's like, I don't want any of them. We don't give God that option. And it's amazing when that happens. Now listen, if we think that the only way that God can answer our prayers is with a yes, what kind of prayer is that? That's a command. We're in no position to command our commanding officer. But you've ever done this? I've just been praying. I've been praying, I've been praying in my prayer closet. Well, I, I know it, it didn't work, so I covered myself with oil. And, that, and, then, I, and then I prostrated myself because I figured that'll do it. And now I was laying on the ground. I was thinking, oh, it's it. It's, oh, God, just give me the, oh, I need this thing. And it's like, but God hasn't answered my prayers. I'm like, is no an answer? Because, you know, it's like, Lord, I really need this. And God says, no. And you're like, I can't hear that. God hasn't answered my prayer. Well, yeah, he has. Isn't it funny how that works? And there are times where it's like, Lord, I just love you so much. And I know you love me, so you'll give me this. And God's like, actually, I love you so much. I'm not going to give you that. And they're like, hmm, that doesn't work in my system. And God says, I'm going to have to rewrite your system then. The problem isn't me. Forty days Moses was up and the people started flipping out. They had to touch something. They had to see something. They had to smell something. So let's get naked around a golden calf. And by that time Moses flips out. He goes back up. Now there's another 40 days. Could you imagine? Would you be, if you were Moses, would you, would you be nervous? Oh no, do they have enough gold to make another calf? Because they're going to, and they're obviously going to have enough gold. And the reason I know that is they're going to donate it to build the tabernacle. So they have it. So you're thinking, oh no, I don't even know my brother has that much gold right now. Oh, we're in trouble. Imagine 40 days, but here's the great thing. Sometimes the Lord, out of mercy, will actually let you take the test over. Isn't that lovely? Now here's the problem. No test is fun. Any of you go, oh, I love tests. Especially that life tests. But let's be honest. 
The test you failed might have been rough, but out of love, God will put you in that test again to let you pass it this time. So for 40 days, it's been happening again. But when Moses comes down this time, the people are a little bit different. But not only are the people different, Moses is a little bit different too. Take a look at it with me. So it says then, verse 29, Moses had come down, and it says then, he's come down, God says, take two tablets, call me in the morning. He takes the two tablets down with him. Written on them are the commandments. And it says, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Now Moses comes down, and it's an interesting word for shone, by the way. The word is, and this might surprise you, is the word karan. Some of you are familiar with that word from other uses, or from a derivation in the Arabic. But karan means, interestingly enough, it literally means to sprout forth horns. I love that when you get to talk to people who are, uh, you know, that are like rabbis and people that teach in yeshivas in Israel because they want to you know, pull out specific words and stuff. And you're like, well, that's really interesting. So did Moses look like a goat when he came down? Uh, and of course, no, he emanated light. And the idea of it is it actually sprouted forth. Now, here's the difference. This particular word doesn't speak as if Moses kind of just had this beautiful little iridescent, like he had covered himself in this really beautiful oil of olay. You know, it's like, you just look radiant. You know, there's that girl and she's pregnant. She just seems to have that, that glow about her. This guy was like, sprouting for he was i mean okay that's the difference is moses was not just like you know kind of hanging out and he just kind of had this like little his face was like a lighter color moses was i'm kind of demonstrating here just to help you out moses was actually shooting forth light and that's kind of a crazy thought and here's the thing so yeah see so we're all about you know object lessons here um, Moses was in this place where, and here's the funniest part about it to me. Notice what the verse says. See, part of this is, I have to fake my Shekinah um, at the moment here. Is that Moses didn't even know this was happening. Now, that's pretty odd. You know, I mean, it's, you know, there's got to be a part of you where you kind of walk around and you're like, hand, bright hand, hand, bright hand. I can't see. It's like, you know, you kind of walk around and and it's like you walk into a dark room and it's like, ah, I can't seem to find the whatever. And you're like, oh, wow, I've never been able to read the paper so easy. This is amazing. But he has no clue that the guy is glowing. Now imagine, and the idea is the guy is shooting forth light. And according to this text, it says that when the people see this, they freak out and run. Which, let's face it, when was the last time you saw this? Now you might, in Camden, you just might see something like this, and you just might freak out and run. But, there was no artificial aspect to this. Moses was just, woof, he was shooting out like, and what even makes it more fun, is that when Moses was doing it, the term in the verb tense, is just like matter of fact. I love how God is. I mean, there are terms where God could be like, he really did this, or wow, and it's like super impacting us. It's just like, oh, by the way, his face was just kind of shooting out light. There you go. But in the, in the face of God, that's nothing. We're reading in the Timothys, by the way, that God dwells in inapproachable light. I find this beautiful, that this is where my God is. Here's the thing that really impacts me as I think about this. This is Moses's, if you're coming in late, oh, come on in, don't worry. No, this, this is normal. <laughs> this is Moses's second ship up the hill, in essence. Is it like, you're like, can I take you seriously like that? Should I just remove these because you just can't even know it? I just can't, because you're like, I can't, this guy looks, this guy should be sectioned at this point, right? Okay. 
All right. Well, there you go. You get the idea, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. My past is a lunatic. Okay. Now, now follow, follow me on this. Moses had already gone up the mountain once. He had received the law. He had received the social law. He had received the, the commandments for the feast and the plans for the tabernacle. And he comes down. Why wasn't his face glowing that time? Did you ever, you ever wonder about that? This time he goes up the mountain and he comes down and he's glowing. And I, I, I got to tell you, the radical difference. The first time Moses went up there to just get, to get the law, to get the plans, and he came to bring them down. But the second time he went to intercede. He went to beg for the lives of these people. And I kind of get the idea that's the difference. Now, can I just say, before we even start developing some of this text, you're going to be in one of those two positions today. You're either going to come here to just give me God, give me whatever you got, give me some of the law so I know what to do, so I could be a good person, be a nice citizen. Maybe you'll be here and go, you know, I just want to receive from the Lord, whatever it is, a little extra filling of the Holy Spirit or whatever. And I've learned there's a radical difference of just coming to kind of take and just coming and coming to be like, God, I want to come with people on my heart. I realize when that happens, then glory starts to happen. Because you start looking like Jesus. And that's, I think, the difference in everything. Hey, follow me in this. And don't, again, don't just believe me. Search the scriptures. But I found this really interesting. Right at the beginning of the book of Genesis, this is what we read. That, you know, and it's, we'll do it in English. It's like, in the beginning was God, and God, right? And it says, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Now, everything seemed to be formless, but this is what we read. We read that the Spirit of God was moving, and then God spoke. And he said, let there be light. And then ultimately there would be life. And can I say, that's the way it works. Listen, the Spirit of God moves. God's Word goes forth. God brings forth light. And then comes life. And I think that that's the kind of beautiful pattern we see throughout all this Scripture. But light was a fundamental aspect of it. I find it interesting that by the time we get to the book of... I mean, so the book begins with light. The book ends. Well, we get to Revelation chapter 1, and John sees Jesus. And we read that his feet were like... Fine brass. We read it as brass that's burnished, varnished. The word, and, and, and by the way, this is really funny for me, and, and, and please understand, I only say this because I just think it's humorous, but I've been to churches where they really want to prove Jesus is white, black, green, you know, whatever. So the one thing I think Jesus was was Jewish because it shows us his lineage. But one of the great texts, I was at this church in southern um, Chicago once, and, and they were saying, well, you know, you could tell that Jesus was a, was a black man because it says that his feet were like fine brass and his hair was white like wool. And it's like, you ever see an old black man? They have feet that look like brass and hair that's white like wool. And I'm thinking, wow, that's all you got, huh? The word in the Greek for the fine brass is the word chakalibanon. And the word chakalibanon is literally the idea of what, what happens to a metal when you start to weld it. You remember, like, why would they have to wear those masks to get so bright? That's the idea here. Now, hey, look at we really want to, if we want to try to prove Jesus is anything, why don't we just go with what Scripture says? What he is is the Savior of the world, the Lord of all. That's where we should really be focusing. Now, now, with that in mind, the idea is John looks and it's so bright, he's got to go, ah! And that's exactly what Timothy tells us, when it's, or Paul tells Timothy, when he says he dwells in inapproachable light. Have you ever had light happen where you kind of flee from it when it turns on? 
You know, you're kind of like it's been dark and someone hits the light and you're like, oh, man. Well, that's the idea. He's so bright, you've got to do this. But by the time we get to the end of the book of Revelation, it says there's no need for a sun because the Lord is the light. And I kind of get the idea from the very beginning and to the end, there is this issue It's really important. Somewhere in the middle of it all, something really strange happens. That light gets to be manifest in human beings. God tells us that in Isaiah when he says that I've raised you up to be a light to the Gentiles. And he speaks that ultimately about Jesus, but he speaks of his own people. To this day, they believe that's their call. Funny, we're supposed to be as well now, and we don't take that call either very seriously sometimes. We're called to be a light to the lost world out there. Jesus would say then in John 8, after a woman who was caught in adultery and then set free because everyone proves, the law proves that everybody needs mercy, that he says that I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew, as our king, he turns and says, you're the light of the world, and I get it. He's the light, we're the shell. He's the filament that ignites, and we're the sort of vacuum bulb from which he emanates. But he says, don't cover this up. Is let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I get the idea here that just for a moment, Moses started to radiate. Now it seems, and I could be wrong, but it appears in the language like it may not have been permanent. Well, Corinthians makes that clear. <coughs> but let me show you the difference here. Here's the danger in this glory. It's the first thing, for what it's worth. It's spoken of, I think it's something like 226 verses in Scripture address the issue of light. I do like this, and this is really important as we kind of dive into this, because I don't want you to buy a lie that people will talk about here in this area. And they'll say, oh, Camden or London, oh, that's a dark place. Scripture says, and I think it's John 1, 6, where it says, light has come into the world, and yet the darkness could not, and then it all depends on your version, comprehend, get a hold of, overcome. Well, let me show you what the word is. Um, let me borrow you for a second, Juan. Sorry, Joe. The word for comprehend, get a hold of or whatever, is the word in the Greek, katalambano. Would you say katalambano? Okay. Now here's the idea. Ready? Let's say that Juan gets to represent darkness. Sorry, Juan. He is a wrestler. And he's out there to wrestle. His whole idea is to get a hand in. But he's got to wrestle somebody else. So... Like that, you get to be you get you get to be light. How's that? Okay. Now here's the idea, and he's a rugby player to make it worse. Now here's the idea. Nobody's, Nobody's perfect. <laughs> now here's the idea. When two guys wrestle, and we won't do it the way they did it then, because we're going to keep them close. You know that can but, be enough, Yeah. Well, that's a, but that's on tape now. I just want you to know. All right. Now, as they would come at each other, the idea is these guys would shave themselves and oil themselves. By the way, it's the same way that's used in the New Testament about being above reproach. And the idea is no one can get a handle on it. And the idea is darkness, no matter what darkness did, it couldn't get a handle on it. Kata means, according to Lambano, means to grab a hold of, to take. So the idea is, is that darkness couldn't take light down. Darkness couldn't even get a handle on it because light is always, listen, light is always the overcomer of darkness. Does that make sense? Darkness will never be the overcomer of light. Darkness will only be the absence of light. Do you get that? Now that's the idea. So no matter where he goes, all he does, he tries to grab a hold and he just goes, boom, you're not going to do it. Try to get, oh, you're not going to do it. And that's the end. And by the time he's done, he's kind of got one like this. You know, and Juan's like swinging like that. You guys should be seated. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Juan. Listen, listen. 
It is not cocky if you are the light of the world. It is not cocky when someone says, isn't that a dark place? For you to look him square in the face and say, not anymore. Because if Jesus dwells in me, and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, then any place I walk can't be dark. Psalm 139 says, even darkness is light to you. And that's the guy who dwells in me. So I'm like, hey, we go, oh, I could just feel the darkness. Yeah, could you imagine if we could listen to the, what the darkness is? I could just feel the light, man. I, could, I mean, you don't grab like a, you know, like a torch and like, you know, an anti-torch. It's too bright in here. Oh, that's better. That dims it. I mean, you just don't have that power. Darkness doesn't have that power. And here's Moses and he comes down and the guy is just, whoa, 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 whoa. He's just shooting out. And here's the thing. Now the guy's glorying. Now, he's not glorying in himself. God is shining glory on this guy. We'll call it the Shekinah glory or Shekinah glory. There is a glory that's coming out of the guy, but there's a problem in that glory too. Look at what happens as a result of that. This is what we read. It says then, <coughs> excuse me, Moses, by the way, didn't know that the, sh- that the skin of his face shone. So, by the way, you could be in a position where you are radiating and not even know it, which, by the way, I think is pretty awesome. The moment you start to notice it, you may actually stop glowing. Verse 30. When Aaron, I mean, if you start grabbing the credit. When Aaron and all the children of, of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid, notice, to come near him. Now, Moses is unaware. So get the idea. You've come down the mountain. You've got your tablets in your hand. You don't know that you're Mr. Glowy Face. And so you start walking down, and all of a sudden everyone sees you, and they flee. But remember, your last encounter with them flipped out, ground a cow, made them drink it, and then kind of said, I'm going to go up and make sure God doesn't kill you. So you can imagine, maybe you come down and you're thinking, wow, these guys never really got past that, huh? Kind of hold a grudge. You know? I mean, think about what you think. Because the, the last thing you probably thought is, well, maybe my face is glowing and people are fleeing from it. Chances are he's not thinking that. But can I say, here's one of the dangers, by the way, when the Lord does shine on you, is it will freak people out. Now look at, there are different ways where the Lord will shine. He's given every one of you gifts and talents. And whether you like it or not, you're going to shine in those. Now, it's been said before, but for the clarity of it, talking about humility, let's just say that God has a spotlight and you have one too. You were born with one that you have, you have say over, and God has one that you don't have any say over. And God will choose in his time at times to take that spotlight and shine it on you because, to be honest, he wants to shine it on you so that the world can see how good he is and be drawn. So there will be those moments. Now, to flee from that light is disobedience, by the way, and it's a dangerous thing. But the dangerous part really is what you choose to do with your own. When we talk about humility, real humility is not shining it on you and going, I'm just a miserable, rotten, terrible person. You're still shining the spotlight on you. I mean, it's kind of rotten, but sometimes someone will do that to you and you just know they're fishing for compliments. Agreeing with them is such a funny thing to do. And I'm, I guess I'm just terribly mischievous, but I'll be like, I just feel I'm just, I'm just miserable, fat, and ugly. And, all that. and I'm like, yeah, wow, that's a real shame. What are you going to do about that? And they're like, hey, hey, hey. I'm like, see, I knew you didn't believe it either. But you see what you're doing? You're still going, oh, I'm just being so humble. Check me out. You know, real humility takes the spotlight God's given you and shines it on someone else. That's real humility. I mean, that's the difference. And Moses, by the way, will say he was the most humble man that ever lived. Now, if he really, I mean, either the Bible lies, which it doesn't, or Moses had to write something very difficult for him to write. How do you write that? 
And it's like, you know, of all the gifts I possess, and I have them all, humility is my greatest. I mean, how do you write that, you know? But get the idea, God's shining the spotlight, and he's like, Moses, I'm shining the spotlight on you. You're going to get great press in the Torah, which will be the most important books to the Jewish people to this day. Behave. And you're still not going to make it into the promised land. Now, please hear me. When the Lord starts to shine on you, and however that works, there will be some that will be intimidated. And that is part of the problem of glory. But look at The issue isn't to turn it down. That would be our natural thing. Well, then I'll just, I'll just become mediocre. So I could, you know. Moses, I think, actually gives us a good model here. By the way, the first thing we notice that he does, take a look at it with me. It says here then that they were afraid, verse 31, Moses called to them. Can I just say, when that happens, you've got to go after him. They'll actually think, you know, and that's kind of the crazy part about being a musician. There are times where you kind of reach out to someone and you're like, people are kind of, they put a chasm in between you and you have to go after them. And you're like, hey, I just want to sit down and talk with you. And they're like, why? Because I'm just a human being like you are and I'm interested in you as a human being. And there's something really cool. And what we find is that's exactly what Moses does. He goes after them. We must initiate. In a world that, you know, it's like we talk about people, it's like, well, we want to build a bridge to people and become more worldly so they have a place. How about instead we just actually love them enough to cross over to where they are, grab them by the hand, and then walk them over to the place where the Lord is? I mean, why would we want to cross over and not bring the cross over when we do it? It's like, hey, look it, I can be stupid and dead and make really terrible choices just like the rest of the world, but I'm supposed to be different. Now, Moses called to them, verse 31, and Aaron and the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. So notice, by the way, the leaders then initiate and respond. Moses doesn't seem, if he goes after them, whoever them is, if that's all the people, only the leaders respond. Or Moses goes after the leaders, and they're the ones who do come. Later, we'll see then afterward, verse 32, the children of Israel then will come near next. So I get the idea. Here's a place where, and here's the dangerous thing. If this is all about me, I won't go after you. I'm thinking, check me out. I just did awesome, you know? And then you go, yeah, so everyone just dig me. But it's like if I really am important about what's really important is you, and the Lord does choose to shine the light at whatever moment, then the very next thing is to go after them and go, look at I just I want to get to know you. I want to develop a relationship with you, and I want to encourage you that God has a special giftings recipe just for you. And he wants to shine through you too. But you know what? Don't, don't, don't miss this and don't get it twisted. Until we learn how to bear people on our bosom, I don't think we're going to glow like he called us to. Moses had already gotten a plan for the tabernacle. He'd already gotten the law. But when he went up and said, Lord, please don't kill these people and please go with us. That's all I ask. Have mercy on these people because we're a mess. And please come with us. And I can just see that type of individual starts to radiate. The other one just says, and there's people like this out there. They want to find a devil in everything. And they want to tell, you know, point out how every person's bad. And, you know, and this person was in an elevator with this guy, so he's probably Satan too. And there's, there's all of this that's kind of happening all over the place. It's like, you know what, in the end of it all, when it becomes about Jesus, all that stuff, people don't hang out that don't like him. That's what I've learned. They either come to know him and love him, or they bail. Please hear me in that. Is our heart broken 
for the lost around us? Is our heart broken for the fallen, for the guys and the gals that should be here or that were here but aren't, that somehow you know really should be and aren't? Or we're like, oh, diss them, stupid. But for the grace of God, that would be us too. And Moses knows that. So please hear me. So he calls to the leaders or whoever, and he's like, please, you guys. Now, I don't know where it is. Somewhere down the line, Moses has got to learn that his face is glowing. How do you let him know that? It isn't like you've got a mirror. How do you let him know? Hey, by the way, let's walk into this room for a second. Let's walk into this tent that's pitch black. Hey, it's not so pitch black when you're in there. It's pitch black when you're not. Come back in. Now it's not pitch black again. Walk back out. Dark again. I mean, how do you let them know you're Mr. Glowy Face? Isn't it wonderful when God can do that and you don't know? And so then he goes, well, please, please don't, don't bail on me. I'm not here to elevate myself. And he's going to go down and notice what he does. So he goes and he calls the people together and it says, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. Now please hear me. God had taken his word and given it. And, and by the way, please understand the responsibility behind that. He had given Moses his word and he says, now I want you to accurately hand this to the people. Moses handed it to them as commandments, not as comments. And I've learned in my own life, I can easily take God's commands and make them suggestions. And then take my own suggestions and make them commands. But when God's word really becomes just great, carved in stone like this is, everything changes. And when Moses, and hear me in this, Moses has the glory at this moment and the people are drawn to him. Now, is there any part of you that thinks, how in the world could people challenge this authority later? People are like, who died and made you boss? I'm thinking, hello, Mr. Glowy Face. You're going to challenge Mr. Glowy Face. Who do you, what do you got? What you got? Well, I have cool freckles. I mean, really, what do you got? And I, and I think about this, and I think, but Moses is going to do something that a man should do and a woman should do at a moment like this. Please hear me. When God does give you the shine, when he shines that light, when he starts to give you the glow, give people the word true. Don't bend it. Don't try to candy coat it because you're afraid you'll offend people. Tell the truth in love, but tell the truth. And when someone says, do you really believe and you do? Then tell them yes. Don't dance around because that is wimpy and they know it. Hey, can I just say, I really believe that God spoke into existence and it came to be everything that we know it. Did it evolve? I'd say that it came just the way scripture said. I say things evolve. I evolve. I don't evolve well in the sense that I get older. That's still modification. But I can tell you, I am not going to bend Scripture to fit someone else's ideas. I've learned better than that. If it fits within the Scripture, I say that's an option. But I am not going to read subjectively Scripture and try to bend it just because somebody else told me something. I've learned what God really intended was for us to read the Word, expect to get our doctrine from it, and then approach the rest of the world and say, now how does the rest of the world fit into that? Do you really believe Jesus is the only way? Scripture says it. I believe it. Well, wait a minute. What about this guy or that guy? Let me ask you, how many people died for me on a cross? How many people died for me at all? How many people are my Savior? How many people deserve to be my Lord? How many people rose from the dead? What you got? And I'm not trying to pick on anyone. I'm just trying to be honest. 
When you hold a hold, when you hold God's word and God shines the light, one of the reasons is He expects you to keep your ground. And there's something beautiful about it. Because you'd be amazed how many times people go, oh, finally somebody that's just willing to say something simple and true. You know, when a baby's learning to walk, don't teach him the cha-cha. Just give him a walk, man. Just look at it. It's one foot in front of the other. And here's the first step. Jesus died for you on the cross for your sins like he did mine. He died and after three days rose again, just like Scripture promised, and demands and deserves to be both Savior and Lord. Nowhere in Scripture does God say, as long as He's your Savior, things are cool. It says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's got to be your Lord. Is He your Lord? Let's wrap this around the close. We've got communion to have today. Woo! Listen to this. So, he gives them his commandments, what the Lord had spoken. Verse 33, when Moses had finished speaking, he put a veil on his face. And that's got to be a little bit odd, since ladies are the ones that are traditionally the ones to veil. You know why ladies veil their face, right? For the same reason. Some of your glory is in your face. I'll be honest. I mean, you don't, I mean, maybe, ladies, maybe you can look at a yearbook and see a bunch of pictures of guys and go, that one's cute or whatever. But the face sells in a lot of cases, and people know that in regards to the ladies. And so they kind of veil their face. Now, I find it really interesting today. A gal will veil her face, only show her eyes, but have about six or seven pounds worth of makeup on them. You know what I'm saying? It's a little strange to me, but I, that's just me. I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to not, not draw any attention except check these out, woo, you know, or whatever. But, you know, hey, that's, that's none of my business. I'm not telling anyone to cover their face like that. Moses does cover his face. And I kind of get the idea here. And hear me out. I mean, I'm speaking and I'm seeking the Lord on this. But please hear me. If Moses doesn't want to be unapproachable. And if he doesn't want to be unapproachable, he's going to, to be honest, he's going to have to tuck some of this back for a moment as he starts to talk. And I get this. Okay, so you meet someone for the first moment. Hi, nice to meet you. Who are you? Let me tell you everything awesome about me so that you'll really like me. Guess what I just did? Woo, woo, woo. I turned my light on me. Do you see what I'm saying? And what will happen is, if it's all true, she'd be like, oh, I don't know if I can hang out with this guy. This guy's got something going on. Or whatever your thing is. But do you see how dangerous that is? And we're quick to do that because what we're trying to do is make someone like us. But strangely enough, in doing that, we may actually chase people away. So there's a part of you that tucks it back for a little bit and goes, okay, let's build a relationship here. The one thing I want you to know is Jesus. All the other stuff, immaterial in comparison. Can I let you know about Jesus? No, 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 tell me about you. Can I tell you about Jesus, please? I'll tell you, if I tell you about me, it's going to have to be in, in light of Jesus. So Moses puts his veil on his face. And what we read in the rest of the text is, is that any time that the people would come, he keeps that veil on. Now notice the last couple of verses, and I'll bring you to First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, and we'll close this. When Moses had finished speaking with him, he put the veil on his face. But whenever the, Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off and come out. There was no reason, there was no reason to veil himself before God. He was, you know, Moses was the moon, God was the sun. He was going to radiate. So he would come out, and then he would come out and speak to the children, whatever he had been commanded. Moses knew that when he went to the Lord, he was going to hand to you what God said. And I love to be able to do that, by the way. I love to be able to go, this isn't just an intellectual exercise. I can honestly tell you, the Lord has really ministered to my heart with this text. He's given me two weeks with it. And I've gone up the mountain, and I've been able to enjoy the Lord. And I've come down the mountain, and I've been 
so full of pizza, I felt like I was sweating pepperoni. And, and watch Jesus do really cool stuff. And, and you've got to know, it's, we're just jerseys. We're just jerseys. It's God's the athlete, and that's what makes anything valuable about the jersey. And, and in that, notice verse 35, it says, And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the face of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again. Now, wait a minute, until he went in to speak with them. There, is this like not constant? It's like Moses would start talking, something would happen, and he'd start to glow again, and people would go, whoa, 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 you're starting to do that glowy face thing again. He's like, oh, sorry. You put the veil on? Because it doesn't say here that every time Moses walked out, he covered himself. Now, that kind of gets something, that, that strikes me as something interesting. Could it be that the Lord has that? Now, here's the difference between Moses and us. Moses' glory was fading. Do you know yours isn't supposed to? I'll point out why in a moment. But I get the idea that there are times where this can happen you get so into the Lord, things start to change. Hey, now, don't believe me on this, but check it out sometime. <clears throat> My eyes change colors. Some of you know that firsthand. When I get really wacky, wacky passionate about the Lord, only the Lord, from what I can tell, they turn deep blue. I know Amina, Daniel, and a couple others have seen this happen. I'll be on a plane, half alive, trying to keep the drool from coming out of my mouth. The person next to me asks me for my peanuts. Boom, and somehow that works into a conversation about the Lord. You know what's really nuts? Not accepting Christ. Anyways, but, you know, and, and uh, this was recent, um, not that long ago, where I started sharing, and all of a sudden I just started getting really animated and excited about the Lord, and the gal just went, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, uh-oh, what's going on? She goes, your eyes. What happened to your eyes? What happened to your eyes? I'm like, are they bloodshed? She's like, no, they're like blue. And I don't know, and, and I'm only saying that just because I, I get this. It's funny for me now to see how this happens, but it's such a reminder of this that the Lord really wants this to be permanent with us. I mean, if it were, then it wouldn't freak anyone out because it's just who we are. The problem is that they weren't blue all the time. Now, interesting, listen to this text. Because we're going to go to the table of the Lord here in a moment, friends. The text is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you click, you can turn there. You're now in the New Testament. You have the four Gospels, the book of Acts, Romans, and then the two Corinthian letters. They're rather large a piece, so they're fairly easy to find. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. And this is where we close it. <clears throat> it's comparing, by the way, the ministry of the law that Moses had brought to show that we need a Savior, and the ministry of Jesus, accepting the gift of Jesus Christ. In verse 7, it says, If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, that's, of course, the Ten Commandments, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Well, then how will the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? On one side, the ministry of death. On the other side, the ministry of the Spirit. Verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So one side was the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. The other side is the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. For even that which was made glorious had glory in this respect, had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. There's the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation, the ministry that's passing away. And then there's the ministry of the Spirit, 
It's the ministry of righteousness that remains. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who had to put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, a veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's why we sang, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now understand, that is not glory to deeper glory. And we like to kind of look at it that way. If you've been raised in a Pentecostal background, chances are that's kind of how that looks. We've got glory and it's going to get more glory. Literally, it's from one kind of glory to another. Isn't that what we've been looking at? It's from a glory of the temporary to the glory of the permanent. A glory that was passing to a glory that excels. And I love the fact, look at you are trading in a glory that fades for a glory that doesn't. You're trading in a glory that shines a little bit to a glory that outshines the sun. Because the sun, like it or not, is temporary. And I'd like to say, praise God, we get to go from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Last six verses, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Since we have this ministry... As we receive mercy, we don't lose heart, but we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, even if the gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing, but whose minds the God of this age have blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, our Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded, listen, last verse, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Let me wrap this up. Listen, here's how it goes, simply. Everything on this earth is temporary. Like it or not. Your hair, it's temporary. Some of us, we know it. That fantastic physique, sorry Peter, it's temporary. Sooner or later, gravity is going to put that thing down into your belly like the rest of us. Your brilliance, your looks, your talent. Now I'm not here to blow your self-esteem, I'm here to give you God-esteem. Everything on earth is temporary. And the law that Moses brought was temporary. It's an everlasting covenant between the people of God, but there's a temporary there's a temporariness because it's about the behavior on earth. But the gift of Jesus Christ is permanent. And that's what separates him from every other individual on the planet. What other people would offer are temporary things to bless the temporariness of this world. I want to give you a little bit of wisdom for this world. Make you a nicer person from this world. Take away the suffering of this world. Give you a better perspective for this world. But... It doesn't lift you over the overcast to see the eternity that's above it. Jesus Christ died to save you permanently, to forgive you permanently. No church says, well, we just came to forgive your sins temporarily. How horrible is that? Jesus died to save you permanently, 
to reconcile you to God the Father permanently, to seal you permanently, to love you permanently. The Father adopts you permanently. Jesus becomes your Lord permanently, saves you permanently, engulfs you in his love permanently, continues to, to wrap you up and make you, and he says, you are mine permanently. What makes the new law better than the old? That's quite simple, because the new one is permanent. Praise God, you're living in a hotel room right now, whether you like it or not. And it could be nice to have things while you're there. But sooner or later, like it or not, you check it out. But there is a day when you're going to go home. And when you do, it is your permanent address. Praise the Lord, it's Jesus' home. Because He's my love and my Lord and my Savior. As we go to prayer, friends, please hear me. As we go to prayer and prepare for communion, have you accepted the permanent gift of Jesus Christ? Are you still busy trying to do, well, I'm a good person. I did some works today, but the good works you did, temporary. And while you did them, you did something bad. So i got to do more good works because that was temporary. And tomorrow I'm going to wake up and still be rotten and nasty. And I still want to do something nice. That's temporary. Jesus paid the price, and it's permanent. And I tell you, He's calling you to get out into this once dark world and to glow. Could you imagine what happens when people that want to do really rotten and nasty things talk to each other and go, where are you going? Camden, they go, oh man, isn't that a light place? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, I don't know if you really want to do that there, man. That's a really light place. No, that's what it should be. As we go to prayer, beloved, have you accepted the gift? And if you have... Will you let the Lord put upon your heart people that our hearts could be like Christ, that we would glow like he called us to? Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful text. And Lord, we come to you today and we just confess to you, Lord, that without you, the best we got is a battery-operated torch that will die out. Lord, our power source isn't permanent without you. Our own strength gets weak. Everything fades on this earth, Lord. The only thing that's left is people and where they're going to spend eternity. And Lord, I just pray that as you give us a vision of eternity, that you give us wisdom that comes with it to embrace, Lord, the God who so loved man that he gave his only begotten son. That if they would simply put their trust upon what he's done, they would never perish. Never, never, never perish. But have eternal life. Life eternal, everlasting, never-ending. And so I pray right now, Lord, for every person in here, for those that know you, Lord, that we would become others-focused, that we would put us last, for there's no room for me first in the kingdom of God, but you first, Lord. We give ourselves to you for others. But if there be anyone here who has not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, maybe you're not even sure. You can be sure. You can walk out of here sure. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ or you're not sure, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. It's a prayer that simply acknowledges Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, permanent fix. And in doing so, He promises right now you'll be saved permanently. And here's the prayer I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to give a resounding, confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I come to you as a sinner and I need to be saved. I'm guilty in my sin and all my good works don't take away the wrong things I've thought, felt, done, intended. 
But you so loved me, Father, you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross that all my sins could be paid for. And the three days later, just as your scripture promised, he rose again to offer me new life as my Savior and as my Lord. So I say yes. Yes to Jesus' payment on the cross. Yes to Jesus' lordship in my life. I hand myself over to you, Father, and ask you to adopt me as your own permanently as I surrender myself to you. Here I am. I surrender in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.